Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Welcome to uh, Following On County Cricketer. I'm John Norman from TalkSport. Alongside me from the Cricketer magazine, Nick Friend and George DeBell. We're going to be looking back at last week's County Cricket action uh, at the uh, Vitality Blast final. Uh, We're going to be talking about Ben Stokes and the captaincy. No, we're not. We're going to be talking about Ben Stokes not playing ODI cricket. And there's so much going on. You'll have to. And it's been quite hot. I don't know if you've noticed. Um, we're going to be talking about the England team, bowled out four times in four ODIs. Is that uh, cause for concern? Uh, losing a series against India. Um, and we're going to be talking about the sh- shifting tectonic plates of cricket with uh, the FTP um, uh, being leaked to the press. Um, South Africa pulling out of an ODI series in Australia. Um, the CSA selling its T20 domestic rights to the IPL. India taking over the game. Uh, and uh, and plenty more, but I suppose we should start uh, at the top. George DeBell, Nick Fred, alongside me. Let's talk about uh, the top line, and I'm going to put it to you that actually the top line is going to be something that's going to take place over the next week, possibly. The new chair of the ECB, and it comes at a time that the ECB announced uh, an extension to its contract with Sky Sports. So uh, Sky Sports will be the sole provider of uh, cricket in this country uh, in terms of the home stuff uh, for an additional three years. I think that takes it up to 2027, 28. Uh, either way, well, let's look at it because if I was to put it to you that uh, it might be, well, we spoke quite a lot last week about the, the benefits possibly of splitting splitting things up from a broadcast perspective. Uh, that obviously hasn't happened, but... Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, the new deal with uh, Sky Sports and how essentially it's going to be played out within the counties um, and the tie-up with the ECB? I was very surprised it was uh, announced because um, there are some significant holes in that. And you would have thought that the new chair and chief exec might want to do things their own way. They might want to take a fresh look at things and it... It strikes me as a bit of a fait accompli before they start, uh, particularly as they could start within weeks. So uh, that was strange. One of the things that uh, jumped out at me is there's no distribution deal for the counties at present. While people seem to be presuming that there's a continuation of the agreement whereby the counties are paid £1.3 million each for a green not to be involved in the 100, that has not been agreed. It has not. There is no such deal going forward. And there might be the mother of all rows over that because the ECB finances have something like a £50 million hole caused by inflation. And somewhere they're going to have to make £50 million worth of savings. Now, it might be that they pay players too much uh, and, and that seems to be a recurring conversation around recent days. But I suspect there will be an attempt to reduce the amount they're paying the counties for this, for their decision uh, or for their agreement not to be involved in the blast. 
But that will be, uh, sorry, uh, for, in the 100, uh, but that will be difficult because the counties own the media rights for their grounds. So actually they have the ECB over a bit of a barrel there. Without any of those things being decided, I thought it was quite strange that the announcement was made. Does that make sense? And the other thing was, of course, uh, a new team might come in and they might want to do things differently and they might want to talk to different broadcasters. Uh, but it seems to me that a lot of people involved in the ECB and a lot of people involved in the broadcast company, Sky, have staked their reputations on the success of the 100 and they're desperately keen that their legacy will be vindicated uh, and that is why the deal has been extended at this stage. I think it's uh, I think it's an extraordinary decision. It's another reason why I think the game needs um, sort of a, a new body which provides oversight and I think it needs government support to do that. Are we any closer to knowing who the new chair of the ECB is going to be or when we're going to find out? We're down to the last three. Uh, those three are Richard Thompson, who's the current chair of Surrey and very much the choice of the counties. Martin Darlow, who is the interim uh, chair um, and uh, has been on the board for a while as a recreational cricket voice. And Alan Dickinson, who was a former treasurer of Surrey. I think the continuity candidate is seen as Darlow and Thompson is the choice of the counties. Uh, you would think that the choice of the counties would be the choice, but there is a nominations committee, which some would think has been stacked a little bit by you know the people in power and uh, for that reason I think Darlow might be favourite but I, I don't know it's, it's probably too close to call. The counties don't want continuity they really don't they want to shake it up and I don't think they'd be happy with Darlow but you know Darlow's a former policeman he's a, he's, a, he's a good person but he is the continuity candidate and if he gets that job I think Claire Connor who's the interim chief executive would would probably remain in that role in a permanent position if uh, Richard Thompson gets it then I would say Johnny Grave of uh, Cricket West Indies is probably uh, favourite for but uh, Richard Gould uh, once of Surrey and now of Bristol uh, would be in the mix as well and that would be then all bets are off about what happens next because you've got the two most vocal critics of the hundred in positions of power at the ECB could happen. So how long would their tenure last? You know, is it a four-year deal or is it just in perpetuity, basically? Is it until they want to walk away? Oh, that's a good question. I don't, they, they've tended to be um, time-framed, haven't they? And I can't remember what it is. Is it four years or five years? Um, I think it is. They changed it for Colin Graves, didn't they? And I can't remember. Sorry, off the top of my head. Well, I but just, it will be something around four years. It, it would appear from the outside looking in that considering over Tom Harrison's tenure, and if we just take the last few years, because it, he, he was at the top for quite some time, the ECB have had to let 60-plus employees go. You could argue that uh, because of COVID in part... But essentially, they had to make sixty odd people redundant. I don't. I can't remember the game being split in the manner that it is from grassroots to the t to the top. The players seem disenfranchised. Certainly, off the back of what Ben Stokes was saying in the last twenty four hours, the supporters seem, or a lot of the county supporters seem disenfranchised. If the flags that I see at the county grounds are anything to go by, we've had a two point one million pound bonus being shared out we've seen the creation of the hundred which whether you think it's the right thing or the wrong thing has had to happen because of the mistakes within the ecb that has let the game drift to an extent that the watching population is in terms of age second only to golf the game is behind a paywall this has all happened in the last you know 15 years or so on the ecb's watch so wouldn't it make sense from the outsider looking in, that somebody with fresh eyes come in and actually be given the responsibility to do things slightly differently from the people who have been doing the, this job for the last 10 years or so? Or is that incredibly naive to think that that would even be a, be a, be no, a thing? No, but it depends, it depends what you mean. I mean, you, you know... Colin Graves was in many ways an outsider, in lots of ways. I, I don't know that cricket needs more strong characters to come in and say, this is the way we're going to do things, you know. 
follow me. I, I, I quite liked the fact that Ian Watmore came in and tried to do things in a more sort of grown-up, consensual way, but it didn't work. And, uh, you know, I'd have liked Ron Khalifa to take over the chair role too, and he would have done it similarly, but, um, yeah, again, it didn't really work. You know, democracy is messy. <laughs> Uh, it's not absolutely perfect, but it sure as hell beats the alternatives, and I would still prefer they did things in a democratic way where adults get round tables and talk and work things out. So uh, I, the, the problem is that there aren't rights and wrongs. There, there are lots of grey areas in all these things. You know, you, you know that I don't, uh, on balance, um, like the hundred, but, uh, you know, it would be disingenuous to pretend there aren't some positives you know I, I can understand that there were some good intentions behind it once a long time ago so I, I, again and again I'm going to say the same thing that I think there needs to be an independent regulator I think the game has failed to regulate itself I think that the um, the crisis around diversity inclusion and let's be honest racism has has shown that because um the, the game's failed to react uh, well enough. The, the PCA uh, has failed to react well enough. The ECB too. There has to be change, and I don't think the game is strong enough to force the change required through. It doesn't have the sort of legal power to do it. Uh, it, it needs government help. Uh, you know, it looks like football's going that way. I think cricket needs to as well. Maybe there needs to be the equivalent of an, I, I don't know, a governing body for, for, for major sports events with, with some sort of government oversight. Uh, I don't think the way we're doing things at the moment is working. Cricket's absolute chaos, isn't it? And it's not really working on any level. I mean, I know that they've brought more money into the game than ever before, but equally the amount of debt is vast. And lots of counties are, are struggling to carry on. The England team's performances have been a bit up and down. There have been some great successes, the great success being the 2019 World Cup, but almost immediately they've given up on the format, which seems extraordinary. And, and you, you wouldn't be particularly optimistic about right now, I think, but correct me if I'm wrong, you know, listeners, uh, about the, the major goals in the um, England future being achieved. You know, I'm not massively optimistic about the T20 World Cup, the World Cup. Uh, and to be honest, the, when I saw the, the new FTB, FTP, rather, it filled me with dread. I just don't think the world needs England playing five test series in India. I, I think that's bad for test cricket. I actually don't think five test series in Australia are particularly good for test cricket. Um, you know, some people disagree. There's a lot of tradition around that. But the last Ashes series in Australia was wretched for the game. The last three Ashes series in Australia have been wretched. I would well, say... to some extent. I, I thought the one where they were beaten 5-0 with Mitchell Johnson and all yeah. was, was incredible drama because that was a special Australia side. Yeah, I'll give you that. the ending of an era for an England yeah, side. And, and, it, and while it was pretty macabre viewing, it was also gripping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There uh, was the last time, you know, it was, it was just excellent. it was just sad. Yeah, but I, 17, I mean, 17, 18, I would say that was a worse series for the viewer than twenty one, twenty two. And I, 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 I would, I would agree only in that at least England had the decency to to be killed off in three days a couple of times this time round. Whereas oh, there were a lot of very inevitable four and a half day defeats, weren't there? In, it was four. In there was the MCG was, test, the MCG draw. That well, was, that was even worse. It could have gone about ten days. The only game that England didn't lose was actually the worst game of the five. Um, and the other four were essentially England not being able to bowl Australia out because they had, you know... Well, that, that, is, that is... I mean, I know we, re we really are spitting hairs here, but that actually, I thought, was what was better about last winter. That at least, yeah, at least the games That's were, were moved on fairly quickly. I agree. That was partly because That's the pitch why it was better. Partly because England bat. But, um, but, it was yeah, more I, car crash. <laughs> But the, the point I was going to make was that all these decisions have been made with short-term financial interests at heart. And the long-term interests of the game are not going to be served by another one-sided series in India and Australia. English cricket owes West Indies cricket in lots of ways. But most recently, was it 2020, when West Indies gave up their own home season, basically, spent a lot of time in lockdown Britain and bailed England out. Their, their women's team flew over effectively having played no cricket, having hardly seen each other, having been stranded on different islands, that they stranded on their different home islands, literally cobbled together, came and spent three weeks in Derby in the middle of September, freezing cold, to fulfil a fixture list. And obviously not for the same financial reasons, but, but that whole package of that summer 
obviously they weren't the only tourists, but um, but yeah, it really did save save the day, and, and it does rather feel in the same way that in the same with. But it was this was funny because it was the same with Pakistan, and that was obviously, I mean, obviously the shambles of last winter was you know a very similar story. But the, you know, at least that has been rectified with what is you know fingers crossed due to happen this winter. Yeah, well, it hasn't happened yet. So let's no, no, exactly. So fingers uh, across. Uh, but, 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 yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. The two sides that came to England's rescue have then been treated shoddily. And, and I'm afraid, and this will annoy people, they haven't done the right thing by West Indies cricket. They haven't. When any anything's difficult, they do whatever the hell they want. Absolutely awful. And, and by the way, spectators would have loved to go to the Caribbean again. I mean, it, it gets great numbers uh, in, in that respect. Uh, we we owe Pakistan and West Indies. But we are going back to... I mean, look, the decision not to go to Pakistan uh, last year, I'm losing track, was a wrong decision. But England have rectified that. Yes, but the only that. reason they're, they're going now, John, is because of the public pressure, the reaction. They were stung by the media yeah, yeah, yeah. reaction. But they're it's still, the only thing that ever makes them change anything. I know. When they're embarrassed into doing the right thing. But they are and going, they should but be they embarrassed are going by the back. decision... Going they should be embarrassed by the decision they've made now. The, the only thing I'll say is, who loses out? Are you suggesting that instead of going to India for five tests in January 2024, they should go to India for three tests and the West Indies for two tests? Eh? Is, that, is that what you're saying? Because England aren't touring Sri Lanka either till 2026 or something. They haven't toured Bangladesh since 20, uh, 2018. No, when do they tour Bangladesh? Well, I've not mean, Bangladesh since 2016. So, Bangladesh I mean, 2016 ahead of the industry. You know what? What I understand what the West Indies did for England, but England did go back to West Indies this year and they extended their tour. So, there was some form of payback. And why I completely understand. Well, they didn't. Sorry, just 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 to stop you there. They didn't. They didn't actually extend their tour. They played an extra test within the same time frame that they were there anyway. But that's still more. Which, much, that's, so, but so, that is. That's, so yeah, they played. They played an extra test. So they I think did they extend might have the tour. An extra T twenty or two. So actually. they so they extended the tour, right? That's another island that they visit. Okay, by adding another test, that means that there's more tourism money, right? But we're, we're splitting hairs slightly. What I, what I, the point I'm trying to make is that. I understand the headline behind England not going to the West Indies, but England aren't going to Sri Lanka and they're they're not going to Bangladesh till 2027, which that would be a gap of a bit. Well, they're going for an ODI series, aren't they, at the start of next year. But what about those countries? They deserve a bit of bit of love, don't they? Yes, they do. And, and English cricket has a responsibility. English cricket in particular has a responsibility. And that is why it is so disappointing that these uh, as I said right at the start five test tours have been planned with great regularity Uh, I don't think they work I don't think they're for the long term interest of the game and and I noted yesterday a conversation on Sky where they were suggesting the administrators need to be taking a look at things, it's not just the administrators it's the broadcasters, the administrators and the broadcasters that was the you know, they're, they're the shacked room, up it? together at, at an incredibly uh, close relationship. It's too bloody close. It's too close. You're not getting journalism anymore. You're getting propaganda. Well, look, they, they are, they, but it is linked. And this is why the link with the players' pay, the amount of money that the ECB takes from the broadcasters and the amount of money that the broadcasters give and therefore demand back. It's, it's... This is why there must not be a continuity candidate. The boat needs rocking. Well, the, the, that's tr- may be true, but that broadcast deal's set in stone now. It's not changing. Well, when you say that, everything could be changed. You know, Britain left Europe. I mean, things can be changed. Yeah, um, true, true. But so, is there, so, so have the you original got, broadcast deal you heard, was for a T20 competition. Have you, heard any, have you ever heard any indication in this country that there is another broadcaster that is in any way interested in taking cricket from Sky? Well, you know that old joke about someone who stops the car and asks for directions and the, the fellow that says, well, you don't want to start from here. Well, it's a bit like that. You, you don't start the relationship from scratch. You, you have to woo broadcasters for years. You Look, you work for a company that buys broadcast rights. You know how it works. I used to work for ESPN. I sort of know how it works. You build relationships. And at the moment, this seems like an exclusive relationship. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely do know how it works, but I also know the power that you have when there is nobody else interested. Well, that, what, what a ridiculous situation we have got into. Where they, See, this is, again, a short-term financial decision. Sounds great. We're extending the financial security for another few years. But you're also going further and further away from a situation where you have some competition in the market, which is what's going to be required. We see this at supermarkets all the time, don't we? They Suppliers become overly uh, reliant on one supermarket, and then they decide they're going to cut their costs. Actually, I'm not sure you do see it at supermarkets because if you don't like what's happening at Morrison's, you go to Sainsbury's or Aldi. This is, this is the ridiculous situation we do find ourselves in this country where you, you either lump it or you leave it. You don't have a choice. I'm not flip-flopping here, by the way, because I was saying a similar thing a, a week ago. But I just find... I just, uh, by the way, that anecdote about stopping the car and asking for directions reminds me of a time me and Neil Manthorpe ran... We tried to run back from the Kensington Oval to our apartment at, what is that place? Holders Hill. And it was supposed to be nine kilometres. And all you have to do is, you, all you have to do is run out the ground to the sea, turn right and run, run along the, the beach for eight kilometres. And then it, basically I found somebody in Neil Manthorpe who's got an even worse sense of direction than I have. We ended up running through the back streets of Bridgetown for 12 kilometres Look, it's a bl- it's you can't a- reach Holders Hill by the coast from Bridgetown, I can tell you that. Yeah, you can. You can. No, you can't. There is not coast all the way. There I is. I promise you, you end up well, in the sea. No, you don't. You just run to the sea and then you turn right. Anyway, I'm not going to... So uh, you go to Bath's Rock Beach and you end up in the sea, I promise you. <laughs> well, look, You're not doing it by beach all the way. Look, mate, I'm not going to argue because my sense of direction is absolutely appalling. And so it's no man thought. Anyway, when we got to uh, where we were... Uh, we looked at our Fitbits and we'd run the best part of 15 kilometres. Fast forward to the next day, um, um, basically I was sitting at, at the uh, cricket ground producing and had the worst cramp <laughs> for the entire day. Anyway. You just squeezed in an anecdote about you running 15Ks there. <laughs> Talking of which, I think that should take us on to Nick. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> who ran about 15 <laughs> metres before I, developing a cramp on Saturday. Something, Nick. Like, for the oh, God, listeners and followers of, of this show... <laughs> you knew this was coming. Mate, we've, we've been hearing you moaning about your dodgy hamstring for the last two months. And then, shock horror, it was a problem you, when you pulled a mascot. No, I didn't. I had no idea. <laughs> why, in fact, why have you not mentioned it on the show? Because I was torn between... I was, I was torn between trying to keep it a secret and then sort of, you know... <laughs> drop the piece afterwards and it'd be quite confusing to, to especially those who've been there um, and sort of noticed me disappear for an hour um, I was talking between that hour and, just, and a half I reckon I was, yeah no, it was more than that and, yeah, it took me about an hour and a half to um, to reappear once I'd yeah finished quite I need to the second semi-final um, the, the, it's, meant to take, it's meant to take two minutes I took four minutes and 49 seconds it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life Phys- like physical exertion I've never done anything worse than that. I, in fact, I was at Laws yesterday and we're getting some post-match, post-match, post-day quotes and one of the players walked past me and mentioned that I'd done the mascot race and I, just, I turned to him and he'd, done, he'd been fielding 40 degrees all day. Sentiment, I've got no sympathy for what you lot did out there after what I did in the weekend <laughs> because it might only have been 30 degrees outside at Edgebaston. If I can tell you, once you've got your seven layers of fur on and some ridiculous helmet that literally is... Oh, just the, the most painful, uncomfortable thing you could possibly wear. I, I reckon it was sixty degrees inside me, and um, I, I, I had so many fears, and they all came true. No, one didn't. The one that the big fear, as you touch on, was being stretched off with a hamstring <laughs> recurrence in front of twenty thousand people while, while dressed as a cat. Um, but all the others, we, we should we should explain, shouldn't we? Yeah. Because some people won't know what the hell we're talking about, yeah, <laughs> and won't have done for about a quarter of an hour actually. Uh, but uh, Nick was dressed as the panther. I was Pinky the panther in the the, the Middlesex mascot. The Middlesex mascot in the um, in in the T twenty on yeah, and, and, the T twenty final stage in the mascot it, race. Ha- have a look online because uh, it is it's what it's like one of those pictures where you see. A big cat with a trophy hunter standing over them. That's what he looked like. <laughs> it's, it's, better, yeah, look it's better than the picture, though, because I, among my... So I thought, if I'm going to do this, and this is me thinking, you know, I guess content production-wise, much as anything, 
if you're going to do this, you've got to write a piece about doing it, you've got to make sure you've got someone photographing you, and you've got to make sure you've got some kind of video. You really um, set yourself up to fail, didn't you? I mean, do you know, genuinely, and I wrote this in the piece, I, I, I do genuinely mean this, I was, and I still am, surprised at how bad I was. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm surprised at how eventful I was. I, I, I don't. So I, I allow the blast content guys to attach a GoPro to my chest, and I think even they were surprised at the level of content I managed to come back with, including a moment where, you know, where where I got out of one of the obstacles and had to ask which way I was meant to go. <laughs> I was I was about to set off back where I'd come from towards the ball pit where I'd spent about two minutes. I. This is really sounds can I ask, grim, can, I ask, can I ask you a quick question before you continue? I don't because I watched the GoPro. I, yes. I love the bit where you're you studiously putting your gloves back on as well. I was like, why on so, earth are you doing that? But can I just ask you one quick question? At what point did you realise you were in real trouble? Oh, so, okay, so here's so a bit of context that you, you obviously don't get from watching the race on TV or even at the ground. Is it? You don't put on you don't put on your costume and then the starter pistol goes. You are in that thing for forty five minutes, from being in the hold in the indoor school to being taken over to the groundsman's hut, where you sort of stay until, effectively until Lancashire bit in Yorkshire, and then then and then until the inflatables have been inflated. So it really is you, and and it's always sweltering on finals day for even when it was in September. So you've been in that thing for forty five minutes, and, and by the start, and this oh, this is not. <laughs> this is probably the worst answer I can give. I knew I was in trouble before the race began, <laughs> but I knew I was in particular trouble because there's about a twenty meter dash to the and dash is, is, is a loose term. Twenty meter dash to the ball pit, which is the first obstacle, and I approached the ball pit and I knew I was in real. I, I knew I was in real strife then because I. I always thought it was quite low and I just I planned to jog into it and literally to step into the ball pit but I was so sweaty even before we'd started just from just from just from being in it for so long that I got there and I realised it was bigger than I thought and I couldn't just step into it but what then transpired was that I was so sweaty and my you call them paw you call them gloves I call them paws because I'm in character my paws were so sweaty that I had lost the ability basically to, to take friction and I could not I think I described it in the piece as like sort of like the death of Mufasa I, I just slid down anything I touched I could not grip onto this onto this bloody inflatable which then meant that I just couldn't get in and I wanted to be last into the ball pit because I thought if I'm last into it because it's carnage like it is absolute carnage it's like what it's honestly like Beaches Brook at the National all the horses going over it at once and there are bits of fence falling over and the odd horse goes down. Like you are all front flipping into this thing, um, and my thought was, if I'm into it, I go. If I go in last, I thought I'd do it like you know, long distance running style, sort of with a kick. You know, start with a kick and then come back and hit people later. And I mean, not not literally, but like you know, try and overtake later. I thought I'd be last into the pen, get out in one piece, and go from there. And I thought I was last into it, but then I got absolutely walloped by a member of Essex's comms team, who was in Essex. The he was in um, Eddie the Eagle, which is their um, which is which is their mascot. So I got absolutely thumped in the head by that. Um, it was I genuinely concussed from that point onwards, and um, and uh, so I I couldn't get into it, but then I also couldn't get out. So I was stuck in this pen, and all I could hear I don't know honestly I don't know how professional athletes do it because all I could hear was the laughter of the crowd. Literally, the only thing my brain would allow me to to get was was this laughter and I know there are 20 of us or 24 of us but I also know that they were laughing at me and that like my head had fallen off I then tried to carry my head out of the pit but my gloves was but my paws were so sweaty that I dropped the head so I'm running around and my this this was my big realistic fear you know beyond the hamstring was that I would be unmasked and not because it would ruin the piece just because there are 20,000 people there and I hate the idea of that happening but I'm running around with my head in my hands I can hear, I can just hear people laughing. Um, I got it back on. I was so gone in the Swede that there's this little, there's this big, inf- these inflatable stumps that effectively, it's just a path. They inflate a path and you run over the top of it. I was so gone and I couldn't see out of this helmet either that I crawled through it for some reason. I don't know why, but I vividly remember, even as I was crawling, thinking, why are you, why, why are you crawling, man? Like, 
you could just walk this or run this bit. And then I got stuck in the net. And then I refused to go round. You're meant to go once round this giant ball. But the race had been finished for about a minute and a half. So I was just very keen to, to get the finish. And frankly, I was dizzy enough as it was. <laughs> I didn't need to go round again. And then the giraffe, I think, had collapsed or like was just knackered. It was lying on the floor. And I nearly did the, the Derek Redmond's. And I thought we could finish together. And it'd be a real sweet moment. But then a part of my brain, the competitive part of my brain, which is the main part, you know, I hate losing. But then I thought, you know, if I leave him, I will beat him. So I left him. And then I got stuck at this thing because, once again, the uh, I just could not haul myself over with my sweat. And while I was struggling to haul myself over, the giraffe, who, as I said, only a few seconds earlier, I thought was down for the count ran past me and leapt over the thing that I couldn't climb past. And so I finished last and then immediately my focus just turned to knowing that you were going to have to return to this press box that has a great view of that race and that I knew was watching because I'd given it the big one when I was down like before the race waving at them. I did the Usain Bolt thing proper punch in the air I sort of, you know, you know when goalkeepers like whack their gloves together. It's not quite a clap it's just like a thud of gloves I was doing that, like trying to pretend to psych myself up for the camera that was attached to me. The whole thing was extreme. I never wanted to do it, is what I should say. I just wanted to have done it, if that makes sense. Like, it's like, it's, you know, no one, wants to, no, no one wants to skydive, do they? They just want to say they've skydived. No one wants to fall out of a plane. So you've retired, have you? Is that, is yeah, that, I mean, it? Is that the end of the, the pink that not for all the, Not for all the money in the world, I don't think, would I, would I go back and do that again. Um, I don't know why... <laughs> I've got nothing left to gain. I'd love to beat someone. Was there camaraderie between you and yeah, the other competitors, or was it? Because a- this all came from I did a piece. I wrote a piece last year where, before finals, I interviewed basically a load of former racers, um, and it was hilarious. Like that—that that was the reason for doing this piece, which is that the next I'd said as a joke to someone in the Lord's press box, "Wouldn't it be funny if you know?" I guess the next step is to run it. And we'd done that piece last year, and we left it at that, and it was very much a joke. And then I got a text saying, "I hear you want to do it." Uh, to which I said, no, I did not say that. But the one thing that came out of that piece last year is that it's very competitive, and you get together in the in the indoor school, and when you're once you're putting on those costumes, every, no, you know, no, the people saying to me that you know, no one talks, they all eyeball each other. I think it was just so hot, and we were all so you know, so almost quite concerned about our own welfare that there there really was a lot of camaraderie. It wasn't much, there was there wasn't much trash talk. It was very much well, certainly not rivals involved, but I was very. I remember being told last year by someone that he'd gone into his first race and someone had turned to him and said, is this your first race? And he said, yeah. And the guy said, well, if you don't want to get hurt, stay at the back. Um, and ironically, I stayed at the back <laughs> and got hurt. Um, do, do, I think you probably had a better day than, say, Tim David or Luke Wells, didn't you? Uh, Luke Wells had a great semi. But, you know, I, I felt quite bad for Sam as well. Actually, I was so useless... Um, as a, as, a, as a writer <laughs> I didn't find anything until 9.30 it took far more out of me than I expected it to it, everything just Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience 
eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. Uh, but... Um... The final was some game. It always. It, I feel like every time we leave finals day, we leave having had a dis, having had a dispute over the regulations of some description. Remember, remember last year it was it was a bit of a one sided final, but there was that catch between the two Kent players that was given for, given a six because one they dived into each other and the one that didn't have the ball in his hands mm-hmm. was touching the rope, and the one who did have, and the one who did have the ball in his hands was touching the player who didn't have the ball in his hands. Do you remember that? That was so. There was a big MCC, you know. Then the next you see the MCC after. The next day, the MCC have to get their blog out and remind us of the regs. And, um, and obviously, this year we had that that dispute over the buys and the and the dead ball situation. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was a bit of a nonsense dispute. Yeah, likewise, I thought, I thought it was. I thought it was Trumpian. Yeah, I, I thought it was. Look, you know, on a, on a technicality, yes, you you know, you can run two buys to the keeper when you need one to win, and you see it on social occasionally, and it goes viral. And you know, I think we've often seen the you know, the European cricket league's been a great vehicle for for exactly that kind of incident actually and it, and it happens when, when there is an error by the keeper and that kind of thing and my issue with it slightly was that we've all played the game to any level and I think you just know that whether or not in the regs the ball becomes dead well that's the what you don't necessarily get from the from the view you know from that sort of behind the ball's arm view the zoom, the zoom in view that you get with, with I guess sort of half the single is that Tom Hartley runs the first and basically knows the game's up yeah, exactly. and then and there are about yeah, five no, tenths. Look, had a decent shout on the fact that the field seemed to change. Yeah, but you know, and look, as I say, there are a lot of there are a lot of little things. You know, James Vince had a shout at the end of their innings that there was the, that there were three inside the ring, and no ball was given. So and no and no no ball was given. But I also think that you know, and, and maybe this is maybe this is probably easy to say as a neutral that is a Lancashire fan certainly or a Lancashire player. But you know, Lank should have won that game. You know, Lanks were out of sight. They were two down. Chasing one fifty ahead of the rate, and then you know Tim David made eight, made eight eight off eleven. Danny Lamb made two off seven. Richard Gleeson had two balls in a row to to hit a four and then to hit a two. They well, Villas and Wells didn't go anywhere either, did they? it was the target was so small that they thought they could play within themselves. Also, but having said that. The pitch maybe just gave a little bit of help to the yeah, bowlers, you know, it's, it's and, and the bowling attack is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, they deserve a lot of credit. Even as a hybrid, you know, the pitch. If you play three games in a day on it, it's going to get a bit tough to pattern. It probably didn't get as tough as pitches on previous finals day, but I think that did also come with it not being September and used and used high pitch and that kind of thing. And, I, I thought it was a very but, um, good wicket for I thought, finals yeah, day. Well, I think we, there. we but, saw, but, you know, it's hot, and, and and there probably was just a bit of. Dryness and just a bit of grip. I mean, I mean we saw we saw be? two of the three highest finals day scores ever in the first semi final, and then we saw a very good final where, yeah, it felt and the like, most runs ever scored on yeah, finals day. Yeah. So there's no criticism there. No, but, not, no, but not, you know they did get they did get something out of the pitch, and maybe Ab- that's just because they're very very good bowlers. Absolutely, and I think you know Lanks won the toss. Not, not, not sorry, Lanks won the toss. Hampshire won the toss and wanted to bat in the final, and they did it for those reasons. They they also did it because they backed their attack. And I thought what Hampshire have done. Brilliantly in this competition, and it, actually, what was almost quite fitting the way it ended was that you know they lost their first four games in the comp. Were you know once you're at that point, you're almost sort of at match point in every game you play, aren't you? I mean, you can't really lose more than five or six, or yeah, you can't really lose more than six to qualify. So to lose your first four, and then to win twelve the next thirteen, and to to win that th- and to win the thirteenth in such a way that was you know the odds were stacked against you for a lot of that second innings, and you knew you got a pretty middling score. I thought it was a brilliant effort, and I thought they had a, they had an attack that was yeah had something for everyone. You know, had a leggy, had a left arm spinner, had a gun death bowler in Nathan Ellis, had a very good new ball attack, a really experienced left armour in Chris Wood. They they've just got they just had the right balance, and I th- and they also had the best player in the competition in James Vince. And I think when you put that all together, let me ask you about James Vince. Should James Vince be playing for England, and is it possible he ends up captain of England? I think the latter is quite far fetched, but I, 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 th- I certainly think. I think what's a shame with James Vince actually is that there've been a lot of times 
in his England career when you would write when when there was when there was probably justifiable justifiable moment to write him off. What feels like a shame is that actually he got his ton in that Pakistan series last year in the in the emergency ODI series against a very good Pakistan side in that England side that were, were brilliant. And Vince suddenly became a senior player in that team because he'd played probably more for England than most in that side, apart from Ben Stokes and, and a couple of others off the, off the top of my head. And he got his hundred, he looked the part, and we've not really seen him since then, which which feels like a which does feel like a shame because that was an ODI cricket. And actually, I I do wonder with Stokes Stokes' ODI retirement whether actually it's going to be that hard to replace Ben Stokes with someone who could do all the things that Ben Stokes does. I think where Ben Stokes is most valuable in the 50-over team is for is with his batting. He averages 40 in the top four. You know, one England the World Cup with you know off his bat. He's always been a fairly expensive seamer who has been you know he's not he's not often bowled his 10 overs. No, he bowled three overs I think in the World Cup final. Didn't yeah, he? exactly. So actually. And with what England now have with Liam Livingston, if he's a long-term part of their plans, and Sam Curran, if he's a long-term part of their plans, is two guys who can do the bowling bit if you know if they're worried about losing a few overs. And I do then wonder whether James Vince, Ben Duckett is probably up there as well, and a couple of others, Sam Hayne. Well, I think Brooke is probably. Harry Brooke. Well, yeah. I mean, actually, that that Lions that Lions that quick Lions series against South Africa was great, wasn't it? Because you know Will Smead, I think will you know will play for England at some point soon, whenever whatever format that is, whenever that is. Tom Banton's still really young as well, and it's sort of easy to forget. Never scored how... a list A run. No, but but still an absolute gun. But just just to finish, just to finish on Vince. What I would say is that yeah, I, I, it's really on that Pakistan point, and that 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 to me felt like the least the least natural time for him to be cut adrift. It wouldn't surprise me if he if he plays Test cricket again, you know, in the medium short medium term future. It wouldn't, and it would disappoint. It would really be a shame if he didn't play Test cricket again because he is. So clearly got the game, and I think that's the second time he scored the most runs in a blast season. But you know he got his. He just looks million dollars, doesn't he? And he and he, I think he knows. You know, as I, my hope is that what happened in the Pakistan time is that he realised is that he that you know he then comes away with the confidence that he so clearly has in the domestic game when he's played some knocks that you know just looks so much a class apart. And by the way, he does bowl a few seams as well. I was at the Aegeus when he took a winning when he got when he had when he bounced out Andrew Balberni so he can do um, it if required if you remember when he was dropped Ed Myth said that he didn't have a history ballpark anyway this is what he said doesn't have a history doesn't have a track record of scoring runs consistently and then he selected Jason Roy to open for England (laughs) selected Joe Denley who he said was a a special all rounder and Joss Butler as Uh, specialist said and put Ollie Pope at four when he had never batted there before so um we're going well, back. He so could... he, uh, you know, I don't think anyone doubts that James Vince is good enough. He's played thirteen tests. He averages twenty-five or something. It's, it, that's not great. Well, Mark, Mark Nicholas, and I know that there is the obvious Hampshire link on and off air, just says James Vince is the best cricketer in county cricket, as far as he's concerned. It's strong. He says it off air. Well, it's interesting. It's, I, mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. It, I, I know without without turning this without without turning this back to the basketball stuff. I mean, he he does strike strike me as one of several players who have had a go before and I think I've talked about Dom Sibley in, in this context on, on this pod actually that being someone who given the backing to play his shots and granted Trevor Bayliss you know Vince had a go under Bayliss as well so it's not to say he's you know never played in an, in, in an un, uninhibited environment but but you do wonder whether Vince the kind of player who you know given the chance to just go out there and bat freely and test cricket against the Red Bull would would really thrive in that. And for what it's worth, on actually on Mark Nicholas' comments, I've spoken, you know, I've, I've spoken to several counter cricketers, and they and they they have said the same thing. The best player I see is James Vince. It is a, it's not a, it's not a rarely held view. You know, even you know, even if he's not, <laughs> that's the thing with James Vince, isn't it? even when he's not scored the big runs, it's and that that was the criticism, you know, pretty thirties and stuff like that. But but they do still give you an indication, I think. That run out in Brisbane still hurts. Huh? Yeah, well, they, well, you know, I. Genuinely, if you look at that series, we were talking about the seventeen eighteen series earlier. If you look at that series, if Vince makes twenty more runs at Brisbane, doesn't get run out, and it's and it's sliding, it really is sliding doors moments because Darren Milan gets a ton at Perth, scores about, you know, ends up having a far better series than Vince. But actually, if Vince gets a ton at the Gabba, and, and Vince got an unplayable ball in Perth, yeah, yeah, on fifty odd, having got, if I remember correctly, a pretty glorious fifty, and but if he gets a ton at the Gabba. His series might look different, but more than anything, he's got an Ashes hundred in Australia, uh, and on that basis alone, he probably goes to Australia last winter. And, and he made it look easy. And yeah, it, and, you know those those guys are bowling, but it, but it really is. It, it is the it, the sport is sport in general. It's like and you, know, you can look at that. 
you know, the, the Jaffa from the, the start ball is Jaffa, and you know he's missing it ten times out of ten. But but there is an argument to say that you know he's hit the, you know the Nathan Lyon run out is, you know, look, yeah, he's done well to hit the stumps, but you sort of you know you you give him the opportunity, don't you? So there's there'll always be that bit against Vince that that he's not that he's had the opportunity and not nailed it. But as I say, last time he did play for England, you know, DI cricket at least, he did start to nail it. You're looking at people who could come into the England ODI side now potentially as a replacement for Ben Stokes. And and Smead isn't, you know, perhaps absolutely first in the queue, but he's clearly a, a particularly talented guy. I think he's only 20. He's one of the most talented, he's, most, he's one of the most impressive young critics I've ever spoken to. Like, it was gobsmacked. I first spoke to him when he was 18. I just could not believe, like, the maturity and... But also just the talent. Like watching him in the hundred last year was, and, I, and you know, for all for all the slight difficulties it caused, it did mean replacement opportunities for guys like Smith. And actually, he absolutely like I thought he was one of the stories of the entire competition. Then what he's done, you know, for Somerset since the blast, um, and and in that line on, on his Lions debut, it's a shame that one wasn't a list A game, really, wasn't it? But he, he belted ninety in no time, and he's had a great you know, he's one, had a great run the, the PSL and. He got naught. He, he, he got naught. So he's never scored a list day run. But weirdly, has four. I think he's got four T twenty nineties without a time, which is. But yeah, but you. you I know you different games, pick, of course, but. You know, you don't pick Mo Farah for the hundred meter team. You know, or for the mascot. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they are very different. The, the whole of county cricket was changed in. I don't remember. So I want to say fourteen, maybe thirteen, because um, the ECB said it was terribly important that. Um, County cricket replicated international cricket. What happened to that? I mean, there must be differences between. There are whole sections of play in 50 over cricket which are wildly different from T20 cricket. I know that there are some skills which replicate. Of course, there are. Of course, the the aggression and a scope of what a batter can do has been increased by T20. But there are whole sections of play which are unique to 50 over cricket. And, and we are going to have to pick people for the England side now who may never have played 50-over cricket. And actually, Matthew Potts was picked yesterday. He had played one list day game before yesterday in 38 months. It's, it's nonsense. There's no way that you were giving England the best chance when this is happening. They've given up on a format. I've said it, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because I, I, I have not disagreed with that philosophy before on the basis that England play their 50 over cricket effectively as extended T20s and you know you see the other side of it in the Netherlands where they you know where they come two runs off 500 and, and all that kind of thing and and ultimately there are obvious as you, you are right there are periods in 50 over cricket that you just don't have to navigate in 20 over cricket and even if the ball is doing a bit you are still given the the licence to just go out there and we've only got 20 overs to bat we've got 10 wickets to lose it doesn't really matter you know if, if someone you know if someone comes off, then then we win the game, that kind of thing. And I, and I, I completely see it. That is, you know, where England are very lucky right now is that their guy in that position is Joe Root, and Joe Root can navigate that passage of play. But you are right that we, there will there will come a time where, if this is the way, the fifty over fifty, if this is if this if this is the way the calendar looks domestically, there will come a time when they're when they're going to be asking someone or a few guys to come in, and you know, Jason, you know, Jason Roy. When he's out of Nick's, extremely frenetic, but but still, but uh, but does still have the foundations of both a Red Bull game and a fifty-over game to navigate those periods, and then to cash in when it's flat. And so, likewise, Johnny Burstow as, as a Test cricketer. And I remember speaking to Carlos Brathwaite actually before the season started, and I took him back to the twenty sixteen World T Twenty final and said, "If you're so, do you think that innings uh, negatively, negatively, negatively impacted your batting over the last six years?" And he never really, never really thought about it, but he said one hundred percent because he never played. He, he he averaged he averaged upwards of forty, I think, in Test cricket with the bat before the World T Twenty final, but hardly ever played a Red Bull game, or if ever played a Red Bull game after the World T Twenty final in twenty sixteen. He said that because he became this sought after T Twenty player, and but the upshot of that was that he hardly. He said that like he he completely lost the, the foundations of his game, and he said that actually. It's only in the last couple of years where he felt like he's where he's, where he's felt like he started to get his batting back because he took time out of the game and just hit balls, hit red balls, hit white balls, just went and netted and hit balls because because he'd lost the foundations through playing the longer formats 
and I think a lot of the guys have said that. I think Will Speed has said, Will Speed said that very recently as much as he's got done all his cricket and done, had all his success in T20 cricket so far he's very conscious that that if he focuses solely on that he will you know he still wants to play red ball cricket still you know because it gives you a base and it does give you something to go back to when when it is nipping around a bit and it is a bit tough and you know it does require you to to bed in for a bit so 100% like if England on a flat one in the right conditions being brought up in T20 cricket will always have its benefits in 50 over cricket especially with where there's that philosophy that England have and the confidence they have to to go from ball one but as we've seen I think these last few weeks on decks that haven't been quite so flat and I guess as we saw in that you know World Cup final 2019 on a, on a tougher pitch to bat on you do require a different set of skills that you don't necessarily get if you are just being brought up on the short. Yeah, I mean, it's it. just such an unsophisticated approach to say, yeah, we we we've got our T Twenty skills, we'll apply them. It's a different sport, well, different format, and 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 it, yeah, as I say, it's disrespectful to the format. And if you don't give yourself every opportunity to learn in a format where role definition is so important and and so many different phases of the game, for example, the uh, Australia. Have this phase of the game, don't they, where Stark comes back on? Is it about the 32nd over ballpark? And he does it almost every game, and he makes the ball reverse. Well, there's no, there's nothing that happens like that in um, T20 cricket. It's completely unique. Um, Nick, George, thanks for your time. Uh, following on Counter Cricketer, we'll be back next week. Well, that's it for another edition of Following On. Thanks uh, for listening. And if you ever have any ideas for guests or have questions for uh, the likes of Steve Harmison or Neil Manthorpe, feel free to tweet me at Fulham John or via at cricket underscore TS. And uh, either I or one of the team will make sure that your questions are read out uh, on the show at the earliest convenience. Also, please take the time to leave a review. And if you're already a subscriber, then tell your mates to do the same. And if you want more content from the likes of Steve Harmson, then head over to his YouTube channel and tell him I sent you. Thanks for listening to Following On. The Following On podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 